Are you looking for a new basketball shoe? If so, this is Gary Parrish here to tell you that the New Balance 2-Way V4 features the groundbreaking use of fuel cell technology with fresh foam creating the ultimate combination of rebound and cushioning. Every step feels explosive and dynamic, and the upper construction features a lightweight textile that's supportive and breathable. So whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the 2-Way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the 2-Way at newbalance.com. Hey there, it's Gary Parish. It's Friday, July 31st. Welcome back to the CBS Sports Eye on College Basketball Podcast, where we sometimes discuss camel fighting and leaky black. Matt Norlander is not here with me. He's on vacation, but I still wanted to record a second episode this week, and I didn't want to do it alone. So I made a call to the CBS Sports bullpen, and I grabbed Mike Gundy's biggest enemy, Oklahoma State football fans' favorite Oklahoma State graduate, the always working, always busy, very important member of the CBS Sports staff, Kyle Boone. Kyle Boone, welcome to the Ion College Basketball Podcast. Before we go any farther, I need to know if you properly respect Terry Teagle. Do you recognize him as a legend or not? I do believe that Terry Teagle is a legend. Um, I actually did some homework on Tony Hinkle before this podcast, <laughs> just in case. Um, so, yeah, I I, uh, I fall in line with all the ideals of the college basketball, Ion College Basketball Podcast, absolutely. I forgot about Tony Hinkle, uh, but that was a, a highlight of the season before it was, of course, cut short uh, by COVID-19. But Tony Hinkle, he, he is a legend in his own right. Uh, just like uh, Terry Teagle and Larnell. All right, let, let's get into it. So um, the big news of the week, so far at least, is that Baylor's Macy Teague is withdrawn from the 2020 NBA draft. It's not a surprise, but it's still a significant development. For those unfamiliar, he's a 6'3 guard, averaged 13.9 points, 4.6 rebounds last season for a Baylor team that finished 26-4 and four and ranked number three at Kimpom. He was Baylor's second leading scorer. So like I wrote in a column, you can read it at cbssports.com. Uh, it's one big decision down, one big decision to go for Scott Drew's Baylor Bears. If Jared Butler, Baylor's leading scorer, also withdraws from the NBA draft, Baylor looks like a legit national title contender for the second straight season. So Kyle, let's start here. Kansas is Kansas, and West Virginia and Texas Tech should be good again but if Jared Butler does come back, and that is what is expected, is it obvious to you that Baylor should be the favorite of the Big 12? Yeah, I, I don't think there's any question. I think I think Baylor's pretty clearly uh, not only probably the best team in the Big 12, but you know maybe the best team in college basketball next season if Jared Butler returns. And I think there's probably a question as as to whether or not he he stays or goes. I think that he's probably getting some serious consideration as as maybe a, like a late first rounder. So. He, he has a legitimately, you know, tough decision ahead of him. But if he comes back, um, you know, can, like you said, Kansas is, is Kansas. Texas Tech is going to be good. Uh, you know, I, I think the top of the Big 12 is going to be really strong. But it, to me, I think Baylor is going to be kind of in its own tier next season if, if Jared Butler does indeed return. And it's interesting because I think, like, if I had to bet today, I would bet he is back at Baylor. But you're right. He has a decision to make. And it's a decision that – uh, not only for him, but everybody else is complicated by the COVID-19 pandemic. In other mm -hmm. words, um, in normal circumstances, uh, underclassmen who have declared for the NBA draft but are considering withdrawing, they're picking between two obvious things. Do I want to 
play college basketball at least one more season, or do I want to get on with my professional career, whatever that looks like? Um, now you're kind of picking between a lot of unknown stuff. If you withdraw from the draft, are you actually going to have a college basketball season? Like, are you really going back to college basketball? Are we going to play? If so, when? Uh, if so, uh, how often? When does the season start? When is it supposed to end? Mm-hmm. Um, it's not clear if you come back to college basketball in the middle of a pandemic that you're actually going to play another year of college basketball. And I know that is something other prospects are considering, and I would imagine, you know, Jared Butler is taking that under consideration as well. But for the sake of the conversation, we'll pretend that he does come back. And if that happens, Baylor brings the top three scores back from last season's team, um, three guys who average at least 9.9 points per game. They'll have seven of their top nine back from, again, a team that went 26-4 and four and finished third in Kenpom. They were going to be probably a number one seed in the NCAA tournament and – this is another point I made in the column um, that I wrote a couple of nights ago is that, listen, the 2020 NCAA tournament being canceled was awful for a variety of reasons. On the list of things that are awful in America over the past five months, that, that's significantly down the list, I acknowledge. But still, like, uh, we're used to having it. We didn't get it. It was a bit of a bummer. But it's especially a bummer, I think, for schools like Dayton, San Diego State, uh, Gonzaga, Baylor, you know, schools that had legitimate chances, rare legitimate chances to, to win their first national championship. And while it is true that, you know, Dayton will never get that back. Obi topping off to the NBA. Uh, they don't project as a serious nationally relevant team again in the 2020, 21 season in San Diego state after losing Malachi Flynn probably doesn't project as a, as a national, re, nationally relevant team in the 2020-21 season. It is interesting that, and I talked to Scott Drew about this the other night, it's interesting that Baylor um, has a chance to like be just as good this upcoming season as they were last season, which is a testament to the, the job that Scott's doing there, but also to, um, you know, to the fact that, you know, they are in an interesting spot where they were really, really, really good, but not um, really, really, really good because of obvious lottery picks or even guaranteed first round picks. In other words, everybody who can come back, um, you know, doesn't necessarily have obvious NBA uh, opportunities ahead of them. So they might really all come back. And then, yeah, I, I, I have Gonzaga, number one in the top 25 and one right now. But I have Baylor number two, and if somebody wanted to make Baylor number one, I got no issue with it. They're they're a, 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 a totally reasonable option to put at the top of the preseason AP poll. Yeah, I agree with you. Yeah, I, I think it's pretty clear that that Baylor and, and Gonzaga are are going to be at the top of the preseason rankings next season. I, you make a really good point uh, just about Baylor's continuity in general, because you know for for a lot of teams that were good this past season, like you mentioned, Dayton. Uh, we'll never have an Obi Toppin like player probably ever. Uh, probably never have a, a, as good a team as they had next this, this past season. Um, Baylor won 23 games in a row last season. They were number one in the polls for most of the year, and they slipped off a little bit late at the end of the season. Lost three of their last five games, but you know we're still talking about a Baylor team that was pretty clearly going to be a number one seed in the NCAA tournament. Um, and in, coming back next season, if they get Jared Butler, obviously. That, that's a team that I think is going to be the favorite in the big, in the big 12. 
uh, a team that is probably better than the team we saw last season. And I think that's going to be scary for, for college basketball and for obviously the Big 12. They got a chance to win their first conference championship since 1950. I mean, it's like five years before my dad was born. I mean, it's, it's insane. I mean, it's not insane. It's Baylor and they've, you know, they, it's not a strong basketball tradition, but, um, you know, Scott has checked so many boxes since he took over that horrendous situation and, and really turned Baylor into a consistent winner. But the next step is winning a conference championship. And the next step is, is going to a final four. Neither of those things have happened at Baylor. Uh, since 1950 that is the last conference championship it's also the last time they were in the final four um, but uh, again if Jared Butler follows Macy Oteague's lead and returns to school on paper at least they've got a real chance to to get win a conference title for the first time since 1950 go to the final four for the first time since 1950 though it should be pointed out um, Kansas I also have a as a preseason top 10 team West Virginia and Texas Tech, I have as preseason top 20 teams. And while I've got you here and we're focused on the Big 12, um, are Oklahoma State fans fired up for this season because of the presence of Cade Cunningham? Or are they, is it limited in to, to some degree? Because at this moment, it appears they're not going to be allowed to play in the 2021 NCAA tournament, even if they were to go undefeated. Yeah, I, I think they're fired up just in general about the fact that Kate Cunningham, who had options to go to the G League, play overseas, go to, you know, Kentucky or wherever he wanted, committed to Oklahoma State not once, but twice. And then he did it the second time, knowing that Oklahoma State was facing a postseason ban. So they're fired up about that. I think pretty clearly right now, Kate Cunningham's the favorite to go number one uh, in the 2021 NBA draft. So OSU's really never had a player of that ilk on its campus. So it'll be... I think it, I think OSU fans are pretty excited about that. I think it's kind of tampered down, obviously, with the fact that uh, a postseason ban is in order for for this upcoming season. But you know, OSU is appealing that. We'll wait to see kind of how that shakes out. But yeah, I, I don't think they're you know making too much about it, just knowing the fact that you know it's it's possible that Oklahoma State has the best player in college basketball on its campus next season. You're, you're close to that program. Do they think, listen, they are appealing, as you point out, and, um, you know, why not? It, you know, like, you have an option to appeal, you might as well. But do they think there's a realistic chance that that, that could get reversed and they could have the, the punishment uh, for that NCAA case, um, you know, minimized at, at least some? Do they think it's it's realistic that, that, that you know, they, they will be allowed to, to compete in the Big 12 tournament and then, in theory, the NCAA tournament? I don't know if they think it's realistic. Um, you know, I think if you go back to when they were dealing with this case, they really thought the first time that they would get off pretty lenient in terms of, you know, maybe they, they have a fine that they have to pay. Uh, they have faced a, a loss of scholarships or something kind of a slap on the wrist. So when they got the postseason ban, I know people at Oklahoma State were, were absolutely shocked. They did not expect that. And, uh, it took a lot of people by surprise. So, they felt like they had a pretty compelling case for why they did not deserve the the uh, punishment that they did. Um, and, and people around Oklahoma State feel that they still have a very good case to make to the NCAA Appeals Committee in this case. And, you know, I, I think after the first decision, they probably feel a little bit less confident that they could win the case. But again, um, Oklahoma State people that I've talked to feel pretty confident that, you know, their case is compelling enough that, uh, you know, maybe the, the postseason ban will be knocked down and 
that would obviously be good news for Oklahoma State fans. Yeah, no question. I mean, it's just, uh, again, it's awesome when you are a fan of a program and they got somebody uh, at the level of Cade Cunningham getting ready to enroll, particularly at a place like Oklahoma State. Like at Kentucky or Duke, you get one of these type of guys, if not four of these types of guys, every season. But at Oklahoma State, it's a, a little more rare. So, um, you know, to, to have that moment and then not be able to, at this moment, uh, have an opportunity to see it all the way through wherever it might lead, uh, a little deflating, uh, but uh, still – um, you know, they do have the appeal, and so we'll wait and see. And maybe, um, you know, if, if Mike Boynton gets lucky, uh, they'll yeah. be able to, 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 to actually compete in the 2021 NCAA tournament. Either way, again, big story from this week as it relates to the Big 12. Macy Oteague uh, withdraws from the 2020 NBA draft. Now we wait on Jared Butler. And one last thing on this that I think is worth pointing out, because our former colleague Sam Bassini uh, pointed it out at the athletic. The deadline for underclassmen to withdraw, according to the NCAA, is August 3rd. Yep. But the NBA's deadline isn't until August 17th. So the way Sam explained it, and I, I hadn't thought about this until he brought it up, but it, it makes perfect sense and it is worth noting. A player like Jared Butler or Luca Garza or anybody else could withdraw from the NBA draft by the NCAA's deadline, but then still re-enter the 2020 NBA draft as long as they do it before the NBA's deadline, which I believe is August 17th. So that means that uh, the deadline that is coming up next week is a deadline in the NCAA's eyes, but it doesn't necessarily mean that if you hear a player has withdrawn by August 3rd, that they are 100% not going to be in the 2020 NBA draft. I should make it clear. I don't suspect somebody's going to, quote, withdraw by August 3rd and then re-enter before August 17th, but that option does seem available to them. Is that the way you understand it as well? Yeah, um, and that kind of underscores just how bizarre and weird the college basketball calendar kind of is right now. But, yeah, that's the way I understand it too. And I don't think there's going to be a lot that will change between August 3rd and – August 17th, you know, I don't, they're not going to have a vaccine in a week and a half and things are going to change and we're going to have a lot of players doing individual workouts and things like that. But yeah, um, there is technically two deadlines, which is something to monitor. Like you said, I don't think it's going to change that much, um, for a lot of these prospects who have been in the NBA draft for several months now, but, uh, certainly an interesting kind of loophole type situation for draft prospects. Right. So um, that's it. Deadline is August 3rd. And I guess the biggest names we're waiting on right now as it relates to the impact they could have on college basketball, probably Luca Garza and, and Jared Butler is it, maybe Ayo DeSumo as well. Like any other big names we're waiting on as we sit here, we're recording. It's 1023 Central on Friday morning. Yeah. Xavier Tillman is probably the one that, yeah. um, that I'm, that immediately comes to my mind, a Michigan State star who, um, I think is probably a first round prospect if he stays. I think there's been some buzz that he's maybe considering coming back, but, um, yeah, he's, he's definitely one that if he comes back to school could be a really interesting, impactful college basketball player again next season. Um, and then he'll impact the draft if he stays. Um, Tyrell Terry from Stanford, another one that I'm kind of keeping an eye on. I think Stanford, has a chance to be sneaky, really good next season if he comes back. And 
if he stays in the draft, uh, could, could be kind of a late first round prospect. He's, um, he's a really interesting shot maker. Uh, you know, a, a guy who is a little bit undersized, but has a lot of skill and, and, uh, is getting some draft buzz too. So those are two guys that I would probably add in addition to, uh, Jared Butler and, and Luca Garza, probably the obvious ones. Yeah, and with Xavier Tillman, I guess I just always assumed he was going to stay in the NBA draft because he's a little older, he's a father. Yeah, um, It just made sense to get on with your professional career, whatever that looks like, and I'm with you. I, I think he's got an opportunity to be a first-round pick, pick and play in the uh, NBA for a long time, but there is some, as you put it, buzz that that maybe he does come back to Michigan State for one more season if he does that obviously is an awesome thing for Tom Izzo's program, which has been enjoying one awesome thing after another uh, in recent weeks, uh, mostly on the recruiting trail. Right now, uh, Michigan State is set up to have the number one recruiting class in the country in 2021, thanks largely to the commitment of uh, five-star stud Amani Bates. And if they were to, um, you know, on top of all of that, uh, get a, uh, another year of Xavier Tillman, um, you know, they would be operating Michigan State at the top of the sport again next season. All right, let's move on. So this week, the SEC joined the Big Ten and the Pac-12 uh, in committing to a conference-only football schedule. It is also more or less uh, what the ACC is going to be doing. I would assume the Big 12 will do something similar. What, if anything, does that mean for the sport of college basketball? We're going to get into that next. But first, check this out. The all-new Hyundai 2024 Santa Fe is equipped with everything you need to break free from the dull work week and embark on an adventurous weekend with your family. The Hyundai Santa Fe's features like available H-Track all-wheel drive, standard third-row seating, available dual wireless charging pads. You've got the H-Track all-wheel drive so you can take on those dirt trails and kick up some mud. Or the third-row seating gets your whole family in to experience the thrill together. The dual wireless charging pads make sure that no one gets stuck in the great outdoors with a dead cell phone. Think about those adventurous activities you can do, like me taking a ski trip up with the family, maybe going on a camping expedition, anything and everything. Learn more about the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe at HyundaiUSA.com. Call 562-314-4603 for complete details. Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. So this week, the SEC joined the Big Ten and the Pac-12 in committing to a conference-only football schedule. It's more or less what the ACC is also doing. And I would assume, like I said, uh, the Big 12 will do something similar. Kyle, do you anticipate college basketball following this lead? Do you think, and I should be clear, we're guessing mostly at this point, but do you think we're headed toward a conference-only basketball schedule for the 2020-21 season? I can't say with certainty that that will happen, but I feel pretty confident that something is going to change, you know, whether that's uh, they, they push the season back and make it a second semester sport or uh, they do conference only scheduling or they do flex scheduling of some sort. I, I think that we're heading towards some sort of change um, with, in terms of team or conferences moving their scheduling. I, I think that's kind of inevitable. 
Um, but yeah, at, at like at this point, you know, we're still months away from, uh, I think probably college basketball making hard and fast decisions at this point. Um, but yeah, I, I think, uh, certainly I think conference only scheduling is, uh, is certainly something that conferences will consider. This is the, the question I get asked every day in some form. And honestly, college basketball coaches are asking each other every day in some form, like, what is our season going to look like? Is it mm-hmm. going to happen? When is it going to start? And the truth is there is so much focus on college football right now from athletic directors, conference commissioners, university presidents, and chancellors that college basketball is just sort of totally on the back burner. Like football starts sooner and it's the bigger sport by far. And so they're just not going to worry with what college basketball looks like until they figure out what college football is going to look like, which is like happening right now. And also until they figure out if college football can work like right now, you know, we we've learned a couple of things about team sports in the United States. Um, the, the most obvious one being that they, they seem to work in a bubble. You know, the National Women's Soccer League started a tournament, completed a tournament, never had a positive COVID-19 test. Um, uh, you know, uh, MLS is going well. I think they've had nine straight rounds of tests without a, um, a single COVID-19 positive test. Um, the NBA, which got started last night is going brilliantly in a bubble down at, at Disney World. The NHL, seems to be working inside of a bubble as well. Meantime, baseball's problematic. Um, I mean, there's more positive COVID-19 tests this morning from the St. Louis Cardinals. And there are six major league baseball teams that are not going to play their scheduled games on Friday because of COVID-19. Marlins, Brewers, Cardinals, Nationals, Phillies, and Blue Jays, 20% of today's MLB schedule is not happening because of COVID-19. And it brings into doubt whether they're going to be able to get through even an abbreviated season outside of a bubble. And so I, I think what college basketball ultimately has to do um, and is, is, you know, see if college football can work outside of a bubble. I'm real skeptical. I'm, I'm also hopeful um, you know, I'm a college basketball columnist and television analyst. Like I, 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 my career needs college basketball. Like I, I, I want the games to happen, but baseball doesn't have major league baseball. They don't have student athletes on a college campus interacting with other students all day, every day. That is what a college campus is in some ways going to look like, you know, come uh, football season. And so, and, and then football is a different animal than, than baseball. Like there is some contact in baseball, but not nearly as much as there is in football. So there's some real questions about whether college football is going to work outside of a bubble. If it does, and fingers crossed, um, I hope it does. If it does, then I think you can reasonably conclude that, hey, college basketball can also work outside of a bubble. But if we can't do Major League Baseball outside of a bubble well, and right now it's not going well, and we can't do college football outside of a bubble. There is no reason to think you're going to be able to do college basketball outside of a bubble, at which point, if you're going to have college basketball at all, you're going to have to get creative. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think we're seeing that kind of play out right now uh, the, in terms of how leagues have structured uh, their their return to sports. And, and I think there's a pretty big contrast between MLB and the NBA and MLB 
basically had no plan. I, I think for the most part, uh, that they're not in a bubble. Um, I think they're, they're, the way that they've handled it is significantly different, different than the NBA who is in the bubble. They're, they're very strict about, um, how, how players interact, um, who they interact with wearing masks and, and things of that nature. So I, I, I'm a little bit pessimistic about college football and there, therefore I think I'm a little bit college, uh, pe- pe- uh, pessimistic about college basketball just because I think it's going to have, significantly less structure than the NBA has. So if, if the college football season is able to happen and there is um, a chance that that can happen without it being in a bubble, then I will be a little bit more optimistic about college basketball. But right now I, I don't feel good about it. Just knowing kind of the way MLB season has gotten off to such a rocky start and how that probably portends not super great for, for college athletics. The frustrating part for me is that when I hear Rob Manfred, the Major League Baseball commissioner, talk about this, I mean, obviously, after they had their first outbreak with the Marlins, he was asked, why didn't you try to create a bubble? It's working for MLS. It's working for the NBA. It's working for the NHL. Why didn't you do it? And his explanation is, and this part at least is, I understand. He said, well, the NBA really just had to, play a few games, and then start their postseason. The NHL is, you know, doing a, a postseason. Uh, Major League Soccer is just doing a tournament. Um, all of those sports had started. Um, they just had to pick up and finish. We had not started yet, so we have to do an entire regular season before we get to our postseason, and we just didn't think that a bubble was possible for us. Like, I, I, I stopped short of that. Like, I understand a bubble was more complex and complicated for major league baseball but not possible like literally impossible no it would have cost a lot of money you would have been asking players to sacrifice a lot and perhaps the the players association just would have you know just said we'd rather not play than play inside of a bubble for this period of time and then you know at that point then you just you know maybe you do try to go outside of a bubble but they didn't even seriously attempt to create a bubble and ultimately that might be um, their big downfall. Again, at this moment, there are six Major League Baseball teams that aren't playing today uh, because of COVID-19. And I largely hear the same stuff from the decision makers in college athletics. They act like a bubble in whatever form is just impossible. And... I just, I, I, you'll never convince me it's impossible. You, you can, you can convince me. I'll acknowledge upfront. It's complicated. It's expensive. And, um, you know, it, it, it's not without obvious hurdles. But if we find out you can't play Major League Baseball outside of a bubble, and if you are a conference commissioner slash university president who is screaming, we have to have college athletics this year because without them uh, we will be in the middle of a financial crisis well then you better start exploring how to create something that looks like a bubble and get a football season done in whatever form and a basketball season done in whatever form because just sitting here and assuming well it'll work itself out and I don't know that folks are still assuming that but they spent like four months assuming oh I'm sure it'll be fine well, we now know it's not fine. And if the Major League Baseball experiment doesn't work outside of the bubble, um, if you want college football and college basketball, you better start getting really creative and not assuming that your sport will work outside of a bubble, even though that one didn't, because it almost certainly will not. 
Yeah, it's it's not impossible to do a, a bubble. I, anyone can do a bubble. Um, it's it's complicated, and I I think you're adding a layer to the college level that you're not dealing with at the pro level. Um, you, you college players are are different. They're in a campus environment. They have different maybe temptations. You could say that that pro players don't have. Um, and we're also talking about amateurs. They're they're not being paid uh, to to sit in a room and kind of ab- abide by the laws of of the bubble. Um, so there, there's a lot of different dynamics that would make a college bubble a lot more complicated. But certainly, I think if if a season is going to happen and it's going to happen without disruptions, I, I think a, a bubble is is probably obviously the most uh, rational way to go about this. Right. Like if Major League Baseball can somehow get this sorted out and actually complete a season and then college football gets going and it goes relatively well, mm-hmm. not without bumps, but like relatively well. In other words, they, they start, they complete and whatever happens in between those two t- dates um, happens, but they start it and they complete it. Then maybe uh, something like a conference only college basketball season that starts in January and allows, you know, Big Ten teams to travel to Big Ten campuses and SEC teams to travel to SEC campuses. In other words, uh, Tennessee might play at Mississippi State on a Wednesday and then host Florida on a Saturday. And and Texas A&M might play at Auburn on a Tuesday and then host uh, uh, Arkansas on a on a Saturday night. Like if football can work outside of a bubble and Major League Baseball can work outside of a bubble, something like that makes sense leading into an NCAA tournament. But if we find out in the coming weeks that baseball can't work outside of a bubble and in the coming months that college football can't work outside of a bubble, then you've got to come up with something different or just scrap scrap it completely. And the one plan or idea, I should say, it's an idea more than it's a plan, but the one idea that one college coach suggested to me a few weeks back, and we talked about it on the podcast, um, still seems like the most sensible idea if you determine you're not going to be able to travel campus to campus to campus, even in an abbreviated conference-only schedule. And the idea was, you know, most college uh, campuses are going to clear out at Thanksgiving. You know, that that's, that's the way – like I, I've got a, a friend whose son is going to be a freshman at Duke, and they are going to live on campus and do – some in-person classes in the fall semester, but then at Thanksgiving, they come home. And then the entire second semester, they've already decided, I believe this is true, is going to be um, virtual learning. And you know, they, they, they don't want people come, going home and then coming back. So college campuses are going to empty out for Thanksgiving. And even at the universities where students will come back in January, you still got a pretty significant a piece of time where college campuses are going to be mostly empty. So what this coach suggested to me was if uh, students are leaving at Thanksgiving, let's all load up on one campus day after Thanksgiving. So if you're the big 10, pick a campus, whichever is the safest at the time that can handle, you know, the, you know what it needs to handle to pull this off. For the sake of the conversation, I, I haven't studied all Big Ten campuses, how they're doing as it relates to COVID-19, but let's just say it's uh, Penn State. Let's You take all the Big Ten teams to Penn State day after Thanksgiving, and then you test, 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 
quarantined for a week, test, test, test. And you start playing, let's say, somewhere around December 5th or 6th or 7th, like, you know, 9, 10, 11, 12 days later. Uh, and then you play every other day. You know, like one day Penn State plays Wisconsin. Two days later, Penn State plays Iowa. Two days after that, Penn State plays Ohio State. However you want to do it. Like actually play every other day or every three days, whatever you want to do. And it's a good way. Like if you played every other day, you could cram in 20 conference games um, by the middle of January. And it's a good way to cram in a bunch of games in a pseudo bubble and have something that allows you to create television revenue and also create a league champion. Like, hey, this team finished with this record. This team finished with that record. Then let's have some version of a conference tournament so we can have our at-large bid and just be in a position to have a 68-team NCAA tournament because the more and more I talk to you know, the, the people who you know, are ultimately going to be charged with making decisions as it relates to, to how we try to, to take off toward a college basketball season, the one consistent thing I hear is we have to have a 2021 NCAA tournament. If we have to build a bubble on an island or borrow Disney World from the NBA, like one way or another, we have to have a 2021 NCAA tournament on television. And so you're starting from that and working backwards. How do we, we, we know we got to have this thing how do we get to that thing? And again, if we find out Major League Baseball and college football can't work outside of a bubble, then you're going to have to create a, a bubble of some form to try to do college basketball or else you can't have a 2021 NCAA tournament and that becomes financially devastating for a whole bunch of people. Yeah, and to me, that's the reason why you just kind of kick the can down the road. Move, yeah. move, the, move the games to spring or start the games – you know, you could do the bubble scenario that you described where you start the games in, in December and try and just rush conference play. Or you could start the games in January and just right. go conference only. Um, I think the more the, the more time you have to be able to kind of game plan this out, uh, the more beneficial it will be for college basketball. I think ultimately we'll have a, a NCAA tournament next season. Um, I feel oddly optimistic about that um maybe for no reason but i feel like at some point they're just gonna be able to figure it out just the more time and and more knowledge they can gain from some of these non-bubble situations including college football and mlb uh the the more prepared and i think the more successful college basketball will be and the other thing if you want to be optimistic um and and provide another reason for as you put it kick the can down the road is what we might ultimately learn is that Major League Baseball is having problems right now because our country is having problems right now because mm -hmm. cases are spiking in too many states. But we can still, you know, at least theoretically get this thing under control. Like just because it's a bad situation now doesn't mean it can't improve. And I obviously live in the South where um, people uh, regretfully have not taken this virus as seriously as they should. It's why um, hospitals in my home state are starting to overwhelm. Dude, like two days ago in Memphis, do you know what the positivity rate on tests was? I think it was two, maybe yesterday. Like what, what, like they say anything above 10% is a real problem. What do you yeah. think the positivity rate was in Memphis yesterday? I'm going to guess 11%. That'd be pretty yeah. high. 
More than half of the people who were tested in Memphis um, when the results came back yesterday, more than half tested positive for COVID-19. Holy smokes. It's it's incredible. But like now, and I say that to say this, um, now there's a mask ordinance in the city. You, you can't go in anywhere without wearing a mask. Two months ago, I would go into my local grocery store and I was the only person wearing a mask sometimes. I, 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 that's an exaggeration, but it felt that way. Like I was way in the minority. Now you can't go in that same grocery store where I'd say 90% of the people weren't wearing masks. I mean, it's crazy. I'd see an 80 year old woman in a, a shopping cart wheelchair. I mean, she is like the, the, the perfect example of somebody who will end up, uh, uh, you know, on a ventilator. And she's just like riding around Kroger, no mask on, couldn't care less. And so that same grocery store that would have that scene, now you can't go in that place without a mask on. So it is possible that by November, December, January, that as a country, we have the virus more under control. And then it becomes easier for um college football to exist and college basketball to exist. And they wouldn't run into some of the same problems Major League Baseball is already running into. So that's the other thing. And I think you've seen college coaches, athletes all make this point, athletic directors make this point over and over again. The key to having college football in some form and also college basketball in some form really might be tied to um, getting our country to get this virus under better control. We will still live with it until we have a vaccine and we won't be back to normal until that vaccine comes. And, you know, you know, hopefully that's sometime in 2021, but obviously it's not guaranteed. Um, but, but we, you know, other countries have shown they can function better than we're functioning right now once they get the virus under control. And so there's no reason we can't do that other than, uh, you know, it doesn't appear that we as a country are very good at it, but, but yeah. maybe we'll, maybe we'll get better. You know, we always talk about basketball players improving their shooting or, uh, you know, becoming a better ball handler. Like we as a country just need to improve our mask wearing and our social distancing. And maybe, um, maybe that will, and I guess this was my largest point. That'll be the thing that allows college football and college basketball to avoid the problems major league baseball is going through right now. So to be clear, GP, you are a sports writer and you are on record rooting against the virus. Did I get that right? It's, I, I could not be rooting more against the virus. <laughs> like I, we've ran into that this week and I, I put a, I had a, a reply on Twitter that I, I guess got retweeted a bunch, but, uh, I, it's so frustrating that, you know, Listen, the, the, our country changed on March 11th. That's the day Rudy Gobert tested positive, NBA shut down, next day NCAA tournament canceled. We really haven't been back, uh, you know, we really haven't been the same since, and more than 150,000 Americans have died. And for a while, in too many parts of the country, the plan was hope. Like, ah, oh, you know, let's just, you know, I, I, hopefully everything will get better by yeah. uh, October. Hopefully everything will get better by December. Well, hope's not a plan. And if we didn't understand that before, God, I hope we understand it now. But anytime as a quote unquote sports writer, you, 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 you talked in realistic terms as opposed to optimistic terms, people just some dummies would suggest, Oh, it sounds like you don't want sports back. 
like when, if I say, man, I'm real skeptical that a college basketball season is going to be able to start on time, which is something I've been saying for a long time. I think now nobody would even push back when I say that. But for a while, if I'd say, man, I just don't see college basketball. Like my, like my buddy John Ross team would tweet, you know, uh, Texas A&M is scheduled to host, uh, uh, North Texas on November 14th. A source told John Rothstein, and I'd always be like, "Yeah, I, d- I doubt it. I doubt that happens." I mean, I, I, I mean, I'm sure it's on the schedule, but I, I'll be shocked if that game actually takes place. Um, now, nobody would push back, but for a while, folks would be like, "Oh, it sounds like you don't even want college basketball." Like, what? Like, my job, my primary job, is to uh, fly to New York and be in a studio and talk at halftime of games. If there aren't games. I don't know how useful I am. And so, of course, I want sports back. A, I host a sports talk radio show two hours a day. You ever tried doing that when there's no sports? Uh, not the easy. I got through it, uh, but it's not the easiest thing to do. And beyond that, like, you know, I, let me be clear. I want sports back. I want my children in school. Like, I've got a first grader who's not going to go back to school ne- next month. Like, that's, that is d- d- depressing, but also very, very difficult on yeah. on me and my wife. Like I have all of these jobs and my wife is a store owner. And so to have, you know, a 17 year old entering his senior year of high school and a six year old entering first grade and a three year old who like loves to color on walls if he gets too <laughs> bored. Like this, this is this is an awful way to live. Like my problems are better than most. Like we've got it, all things considered, pretty good. We are at this moment healthy and still employed. And I know that, you know, and I haven't lost a loved one to this virus. So I know not everybody listening right now can say all of those things. Um, I've always try to remind myself, like, even when I'm stressed, my problems are better than most people's problems. We're doing okay. But it doesn't mean it's easy to live like this. And so I want the virus suppressed. I want the virus under control. I want my children in school and I want college sports to, uh, to be back ASAP. And in fact, it's why I roll my eyes when people say, Oh, you're rooting against the virus. You know what? From day one, I've been socially distancing. From day one, I've been wearing a mask. I canceled my family's vacation. We have a pool in the backyard. We haven't had a pool party, not once this year. Like I've actually been doing everything I can personally do to to do my part when it comes to getting this virus under control. I'm not the problem. The problem is probably the people who are out there tweeting me talking about I'm rooting or people like me are rooting against sports. So hopefully we can get those folks to put their stupid mask on and then we can uh, ultimately watch college basketball at some point in late 2020. And if not early in 2021, that's my rant. Yeah, I'm I'm with you. I was shaking my head the the entire time in in agreement. I think there's a way to look at this pragmatically and think that um you know, we have some concerns about the season while also simultaneously rooting for the season to happen. So there there's maybe not that much nuance there, but yeah, um I'm absolutely in that camp and been wearing my mask. You know, we we haven't been able to see friends or family that much, so it's been tough, but uh, yeah, I, I absolutely hope the season happens and people need to wear their mask and hopefully it will. Yeah, like I've seen my dad. My I I live. I'm lucky enough to live in my hometown, um, or like right next to my hometown. And my my mother and my father both live, you know, within ten minutes of me. I've seen my dad twice in the past five months. 
you know, like um, just because he's, you know, he's, you know, above 65 years old and he is, uh, he has underlying medical conditions. It's just like not safe. And so um, like nobody wants this thing suppressed. I don't want to say nobody wants to suppress more than I, but like I, I'll put myself pretty high on the list. And so hopefully, uh, hopefully we as a country will do better. And if you want me to be optimistic about something, uh, that's what I'll be optimistic about that when I'm, like I was out at the WGC FedEx St. Jude Invitational yesterday and they're not allowing fans, but there's still a lot of people out there because it's a, it's a television event. So there's cameras everywhere and, um, you know, and, and there's people walking around everywhere. And this is outside on a golf course where it's very easy to socially distance. And still, like everybody was wearing a mask, even walking outside 98 degrees. And so that is encouraging that I, I have found in the place where I live where there were real virus skeptics from the jump and still they exist. And I see it on Facebook. Um, I, I have seen a real change in behavior around here. And if people around here are changing, I would imagine people um, basically everywhere are finally, um, you know, starting to understand that the only way to get this thing uh, under control is to start doing your part, whatever your part is. And so, um, you know, I, I've said consistently, like I, I'm, you know, I'm hopeful, but I'm not going to be intentionally dumb to make people feel better about the likelihood of college sports um, happening in 2020. But if if we do, you know, have a change of behavior that that reverses these trends, then I do think it's possible to have college sports in 2020. And 100%, that's what I'm rooting for. And I know you are as well. Yeah, I, I think uh, living in Tulsa here, I'm hoping that Tulsans will kind of come aware, come around to the Memphis way of, of wearing masks. I think we're probably a month from getting to that point. Um, <laughs> maybe it, it's going to take Tulsa getting to a 50% positivity rate to, to get there, but I am, I'm still hopeful. Yeah. Hey, hey, no more rallies. Okay. <laughs> no more rallies. I don't <laughs> think we'll have any more. <laughs> yeah. Let's, let's hold off on that for, for a while. Shouts to Devin Downey, shouts to Chester, South Carolina, shouts to Terry M.F. Fatigo, he's a legend. Shouts to Larnell, and thank you for listening to the Ion College Basketball Podcast in a slow time of the year during a pandemic. We don't take that for granted at all. So, um, again, always appreciate you listening. If you haven't subscribed yet, please go subscribe anywhere you subscribe to podcasts, uh, including Apple Podcasts. And either way, I'll talk to you again real soon. Until then, take care. What's up, y'all? This is four-time NBA champ Andre Iguodala. Yo, and this is his best friend, the Ohio State legend, Evan Marcel Turner the first. Every Wednesday, we drop a new episode on our show, Point Four. We're talking basketball, business, and all the culture in between. From locker room stories to some basketball analysis from those who've been in the game. Now, it is a do-bet. Do average 29 and 11. God, what it take to be an all-star? A win. Subscribe to Point Forward, the podcast, so you don't miss a thing.